Thanks, Helen. So last week, if you were here, uh, and even if you weren't here, Graham, our pastor, was introducing the theme of the whole armor or the full armor of God. And, and basically what he said to us was this, as Christians, we are in a spiritual battle and the devil wants to deceive us. He wants to disqualify us from the Christian race and generally wants to wreak havoc with our lives. He would like to cause us to stumble as individuals. He would like to wreck our church. He would like to cause us to be critical of leadership and of one another. Generally, the devil's mission is to mess us about. That's the battle we're in. And Paul, writing to a church, to the Christians at Ephesus, says, put on the whole armor or the full armor of God. If we would survive the devil's attacks in this spiritual battle, we need to be intentional. Put on the various items of armor. And we're going to be working through these week by week. And the first item of armor that Paul mentions as he writes to the Ephesians is the belt we don't need to take a lot of time to think about the function of a belt in our day. We, we've run out of time, otherwise I could have asked you all to stand up and to loosen your belts and we'd see what would happen. But uh, for, for many of us, that would be difficult. The function of a belt in our day is to stop our trousers falling down unless we've been eating too much. Or for some people, a belt is just simply a fashion accessory. But for a Roman soldier, the belt was not to hold up your trousers, but the principle, because they didn't wear any, the principal function of the belt was to stop you tripping over your tunic, to stop you tripping over your clothes, to gather things together so that you felt secure and you were able for putting on the rest of the armor and getting involved in the battle. When I trusted Christ at the age of 16, I was given some sound advice by some slightly older young people, and they said to me, you are now a threat to the devil, and he will do whatever he can to trip you up, so you need to be prepared, you need to be aware of that. They didn't use the words, the whole armor of God, but they were sounding a warning, which was a good warning to have sounded. Now, I was the only Christian in my class at school and subsequently at university and then for much of my career. I better clarify that. I was the only Christian in my office when I was working in town planning, but when I worked in churches or a Christian charity, there are, of course, some Christians around about. But when you're known to be a Christian, and especially when you're the only one in your environment, the truth is this, others are watching you. And many times they're trying to catch you out or to trip you up. I, I remember back in the day a song with the words, they are watching you, watching all you do, hearing the things that you say. We are under scrutiny if we own the name of Christ. People are watching us and people are watching for us to trip. And the Apostle Paul, writing to Christians at Ephesus, describes the piece of armor designed to stop the Christians from tripping up as the belt of truth. But what is truth? That's an age-old question. It was a question asked by the Roman official Pontius Pilate when Jesus was in trial before him. We know that Jesus said of himself, I am the truth, but what is truth? the truth. There was a time in our Western society when people had a shared understanding of the nature of truth. In other words, certain things were accepted as true, whether it suited them or not, and 
true and false were polar opposites. Lewis Carroll wrote his classic Alice stories towards the end of the 19th century. And this quotation from Through the Looking Glass demonstrates that truth was in trouble even then, 200 years ago. When I use a word, Humpty Dumpty said in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean, nothing more or less. The question is, said Alice, whether you can make words mean so many different things. No, the question is, said Humpty Dumpty, which is to be matter? That's a master. That's all. And of course, in our lifetimes, we've seen words change meaning in popular usage. Truth has been in trouble for a long time. In the 1960s and 70s and possibly into the 80s, two giants of Christian thought, the one Francis Schaeffer, an American minister and philosopher, and Leslie Newbigin, a Presbyterian pastor who'd spent time in India and come back to the UK, found it necessary to qualify the concept of truth. So Schaeffer coined the expression, true truth. True truth to mean something was true, whether people believed it or not. Something was true, whether people recognized it or not. And Newbigin coined the expression public truth. True truth. Schaefer wanted to be sure that he was conveying the idea of a truth that was absolute and not relativistic. That acknowledged the presupposition that if anything was true, then the opposite was false. He asserted that Christianity is truth, and as truth, it touches the whole of our lives. And our presentation of that truth must reflect the whole character of God, His holiness, His love, and be demonstrated both through intellectual argument and practical life of faith. Os Guinness, an Irishman, and yes, a member of that family and a friend of Schaefer, argued that the challenge for Christians is to stand for the truth and to be people of truth where telling the truth is becoming a revolutionary act. I wonder if you've ever thought of that before, that when you tell the truth, you are actually engaging in a revolutionary act. Newbigin argued that Christian faith is not simply a personal or a privatized thing. So a new ager... Remember them? A new ager may be happy to say, if that's true for you, I'm glad for you, but that's not my truth. But Christian truth is not simply a personal preference. Christian truth, Newbigin argued, is public truth. Take the statement, for example, Jesus Christ is Lord. A Dutch political leader who was prime minister, actually, of the Netherlands at the beginning of the last century said this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And I believe that to be true. But you try saying that in Parliament, you try saying that in the public square, and very quickly you will be in trouble. This is absolute truth. That's what Kuiper was arguing. It's true whether you believe it or not. Jesus is Lord. But take the expression, Jesus Christ is my Lord, that's personal, that's an absolute truth applied to me. And I think you might recognize that for many in our society today, Christian faith is considered to be a lifestyle choice which a person is free to make until it begins to impinge on the lifestyle choices of others. 
And in some ways, it was always like this. In the days of the Roman Empire, Jesus Christ is Lord was a revolutionary statement, for in a totalitarian regime in which Caesar declared himself to be Lord, to declare Jesus is Lord was an act of treason. Today, to say and to believe Jesus is Lord and to live out the implications of that is unacceptable in our society. For society recognizes and lives by a different set of totalitarian rules and shared expectations of what is acceptable. Only this week, Labour has accused conservative leadership hopeful Esther McVeigh as unfit to be an MP. On what grounds? The grounds that she argued that parents should be allowed to take primary-aged children out of lessons on same-sex relationships. Now, I've no idea if Esther McVeigh is motivated by Christian convictions, but I see this as an example of the default position of our legislators and political leaders. Unfit to be an MP for expressing an opinion that many of us would regard as totally reasonable. We're living in a day when the expression fake news is used with abandon, and we've had an example of it too this week when the President of the United States claimed that there were no protesters on the streets of London at his visit, but many well-wishers. The official figures were 75,000 protesters on the streets and a welcoming crowd of 100. If Hans Christian Andersen were writing today, I imagine he would not write about the Emperor's new clothes, but the Trump's new clothes. And this is no longer a fairy story because people choose to believe to be true what they want to be true. Take global warming. Former presidential hopeful Al Gore coined the phrase an inconvenient truth as the title of his book and film about global warming. And the response of many people to an inconvenient truth is to bury one's head in the sand, although even that carries an untruth because contrary to popular myth, ostriches do not do that. True truth, public truth, deals in facts. My truth is a matter of personal preference or opinion. Feelings, for many today, and I'm sad to say for some Christians, feelings trump truth. Sorry for mentioning that name again. It strikes me there are three things we can do with truth. We can believe it, we can proclaim it, we can act upon it. In other words, live it out. For here is a truism, what we believe influences how we behave. So why do we wear the belt of truth? Ephesians 6.11 put on the full armor, the whole armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. I don't know whether you've noticed this, but Christians can be very gullible. Christians can be very easily swayed. The devil is a deceiver. Jesus said to a group of religious leaders, religious leaders, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Paul writes to Christians, Galatians 3, verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? 
Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed as crucified. What was the issue? Why was Paul calling them foolish and using such strong language, the language of being bewitched? Because they got it into their heads that to be a Christian, you needed to do more than just trust Jesus Christ for salvation. You needed to be circumcised as well on top of that. And Paul says, you've been deceived. And as Christians, we need to be open to the possibility that we can be deceived and certainly open to the reality that Satan wants to deceive us. That's his modus operandi. That's what he does. And that's how he attacks Christians. I'm intrigued that gospel truth is an expression which survives us, survives to today. Gospel truth means that something is reliable or trustworthy. Take that expression another way and we presuppose the truth of the gospel. But where and how do we find the truth of the gospel? In John chapter 17, Jesus prays to his father about his disciples and by implication about us. And in John 17, 17, Jesus prays to his Father, sanctify them, that is, set them apart. Set them apart by the truth. Your word is truth. And Jesus prays to his Father for us and refers to God's word as truth. Here then are some of the gospel truths which we should hold fast. There's one God existing in a community of three persons. Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God created everything. God is on the throne of the universe, no matter what's happening around about us, no matter what's happening in world issues and politics, climate change, whatever, God is still on the throne. Incarnation. Jesus is fully God and also fully man, and the device God used to bring that about was virgin birth. Jesus died on the cross. He didn't just seem to die. Resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead physically. And Paul devotes a whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, to emphasize the practical importance of this truth. Because truth isn't just sort of academic. Truth isn't just take it or leave it. Truth actually has implications for us. If Christ has not been raised, we are deluded and we are wasting our time return. Jesus is coming again, visibly and bodily. Paul wrote to Timothy these words. Here is a trustworthy saying. In other words, here is something that's true, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Human beings are created in the image of God. Therefore, every human being is of utmost value. Therefore, we should treat one another with dignity, regardless of color, creed, class, social or economic status. And we have a particular responsibility towards the vulnerable. And we too are created in God's image. Do you remember the song that was sort of relegated to being a children's song that went, I am special because God has loved me and gave the very best he had to save me, his own son, Jesus Christ. Turn to the person beside you and say, you are special. 
What do you do though? Let's pretend we're in a black church this morning. Turn to the person beside you, behind you and say, you are special. And if anybody never got that, you are special. I never got that. You could say it to me too. John, you are special. We are all special because God has loved us. It's amazing. God will judge the human race. We're not autonomous. We're responsible to our creator. Remember how Jesus used the belt of truth when Satan tried to trip him up in the desert? Jesus replied with the truth. It is written, and Satan knew it was the truth, and Satan backed off. God's word is truth, so get to know it. These basic truths of the faith have been summarized historically in creeds. In our tradition, we do not regularly include reciting of a creed in our services, although from time to time we sing songs which derive from a creed. Do you remember? We believe in God the Father, maker of the universe, and in Christ his Son, our Savior, brought to us by virgin birth. We believe he sent his Spirit and Kendrick went through the whole gamut of a creed. We sing a song that's more contemporary than that with similar words from time to time. Creeds are a synopsis of truths we read in the Bible. God's word, which Jesus declares to be the truth. But Jesus did not only point to God's word, he spoke of himself as the truth. He said, I am the truth, so we follow him. We get to know him. As, the, as his disciples, we do what he says. It's Jesus who also said, the truth will set you free. And in the passage Janet read for us today, we discover that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth who will guide us into all truth. Did you know it's the day of Pentecost today? Did you know it's the birthday of the church? Did you know it's the day when we remember that God spent his spirit onto the waiting disciples to fill them with power, to equip them and enable them to live as Jesus in the world and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all reveal truth to us. The Father through his word, Jesus through his person, and the Spirit through his ministry of conviction and convincing in our hearts. And I believe it's important to know the set of truths which may be described as Christian doctrine. Such knowledge is important, for example, when Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons come knocking on your door. You can so easily be bamboozled by their alternative teaching if you are not confident in the truth of the gospel. From time to time, your colleagues or friends might challenge you about your belief in the resurrection or other key doctrines of faith. Perhaps some friends have been to a meeting at which a famous speaker preaches something which sounds appealing, which doesn't quite ring true to what you've been taught and previously understood. But if you know the truth of God's Word, you will not be tripped up. Or very likely these days you read something on Facebook or Wikipedia or on Christian television which sounds plausible and causes you to doubt aspects of the faith once delivered to the saints. How do you know, for example, if you're reading an internet search, how do you know if the results that come up are kosher? That is trustworthy, consistent with biblical teaching. Surely by familiarizing yourself with the truth, 
If you know the truth, you'll be better placed to identify teaching which is unbiblical or heretical, and you will be less likely to trip up. I want to move to a close with some of the lies which Satan will very subtly use in his attempt to deceive you and to trip you up in your personal walk as a Christian. These are likely to relate to your feelings and they may rock your confidence that you are a child of God. And I want to give us some tools as we close to answer Satan and to tell him to get lost and to give us confidence to hold our ground and be secure. Satan loves to condemn us. Satan loves to say to us, you are a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. You can't be a Christian because you do such and such or you did such and such. You are disqualified. But here's a biblical truth with which to counter Satan's lies and avoid tripping over your clothes. Romans 8.1 Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're in Christ Jesus and somebody tries to condemn you and say, you got it wrong, you're out of line, God doesn't love you anymore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Tell the devil that. He loves to confuse us with self-doubt. You are not good enough. Actually, the truth is you'll never be good enough. You're not saved by works, but by grace, by the free gift of God, by what Jesus has done on the cross. You are covered in His righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Satan loves to contradict what the Bible says. God's not for you. God doesn't care for you. As I was preparing this talk, this picture was posted on Facebook. I, I wonder what you read there. <laughs> I think what somebody's trying to say is, you matter, don't give up. But you can very easily read it a different way. You don't matter, give up. And we need discernment to see the truth and to know the truth so that Satan very subtly doesn't confuse us with things like that. You matter, don't give up. Satan's strategy often is to take what's good and to distort it in an attempt to trip us up. Jesus, however, who is himself the truth, teaches us that God is our heavenly Father who loves us with an everlasting love. Romans 8.31 What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And here's one essential piece of truth to wrap around you. When Satan seeks to deceive you, Satan is already a defeated foe, for Christ has won the victory. Satan has no power over you today unless you give it to him. Evangelist Billy Graham said, I've read the end of the book, and we win. You're on the victory side if you're trusting Christ as Savior. Satan, don't talk rot. Satan, I'm a child of the Most High God. Satan, I've been born again into his family and nothing, nothing can separate me from his love. So I want to close with a personal question this morning. How secure is your belt? Paul encourages us to put on the whole armor of God so that we may stand against the devil's deceit. And the belt is the belt of truth. How's your belt? Is it fastened? Is it holding you together? 
Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, we deal in truth and not in fairy tales or fables. Father, we thank you that your word is truth. We thank you that your son is truth. We thank you that your spirit is the spirit of truth. And thank you so much for sending him out and pouring him out on the day of Pentecost. And thank you that he's available to us today in Pentecost 2019. Father, we recognize that we're in a battle. But we pray, Father, as we go day by day into that battle. We don't have to go into it. We're already in it as we exist on that battlefield with Satan trying to deceive us. Would you help us to fasten tightly the belt of truth, to get to know the truth of your word, to get to know the truth of your son, to get to know the truth as your spirit opens it up for us and to us. May we stand firm. May we love your truth. May we be confident in your truth. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.